This morning I invite you to take your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 4 to 21. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 8, I'll begin at verse 4, I'll read through verse 21. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known and brought open into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the understanding, and to the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. It dawned on me this past week that I have been preaching for nearly 25 years. I know what you're thinking. He must have started when he was five years old. Not only have I been trying to preach for the better part of a quarter of a century, but I have been blessed to sit under some of the greatest preachers and teachers of preaching in our contemporary day. I had the privilege of going to Beeson Divinity School where I sat under men like Robert Smith Jr., Calvin Miller, Charles T. Carter. I went on to get a doctorate at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and there I was able to study under a man by the name of Haddon Robinson. 
In a 1996 study by Baylor University, Haddon Robinson was named as one of the 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world. I have had the privilege of hearing some of the best teachers of preaching. I I tell you that not to give you my resume. I tell you that to just let you know that I've been trying to do this thing for, for a significant amount of time. And I've been able to sit under some significant teachers of the art of preaching but I say all that to say this I must confess to you that there are many things about preaching that I just do not understand I know the value of a well-crafted introduction I know that an introduction is supposed to arrest the attention of the audience draw you in by the shirt collar compelling you to listen to the sermon that is to come I understand that that every sermon, if it's worth its salt, it, it needs to be rooted in the biblical text. That the only real way to preach is expositional, where you expose the truth that's embedded in the very scripture. I know the value of teaching in that way. I understand the appreciation and the, uh, and the need for well-thought-out transitions as you go from one flow of thought to another flow of thought, so it's a kind of cohesive unit. I understand that every conclusion ought to pack a punch that somehow we end on a crescendo, and God's people that have, who have heard God's word know how to respond to the God of the word. I, I understand some things about components of preaching, but I must confess, there's some things about preaching I just do not understand. Take, for example, how is it that some people get it and some people don't? They've heard the same sermon. They've been in attendance in the same worship experience, and yet one person gets it and another person doesn't. How do you explain that? You've got a husband and a wife, and they have been seated side by side, arm in arm, for the better part of 40 years. They come to church each and every Sunday. They hear the same words. They hear the same sermon. And the wife is soaking it up like a sponge. And the husband, he hasn't been spiritually changed for the better part of four decades. How do you explain that? How do you explain uh, four teenagers For six years, they've heard the very same sermons. They've gone to the very same worship services. They've gone to the same camp, D-Nows, and Bible studies. And at the end of a six-year period, you've got four seniors. They're about to graduate, and they're on four different levels, spiritually speaking. How in the world do you explain that? Heard the same thing, experienced the same events, and yet some people get it, and some people don't. The goal of all preaching is clarity. I mean, every preacher wants to be clear. But clearly, there's a lack of clarity when it comes to the preaching of God's word. Some people walk away and they say, I don't have the foggiest idea what that preacher was talking about. You've been in those sermons. I've given those sermons. I mean, we understand there are sometimes that clarity is not readily available. Yet the goal of all preaching is is clarity. I do find some consolation in the fact that not even everybody got the preaching of Jesus. And Jesus is the best in the business, right? I mean, there's nobody better than Jesus. He is the king of all preachers. And yet, even in the preaching of Jesus, some people get it and some people don't. Take, for example, the sermon that I just read for you. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is a crowd 
favorite. With each passing day, his popularity is growing. In fact, Luke says that when Jesus went to a particular town, that people from town to town, village and village, they all gathered around. They pressed around him wanting to hear what this upstart rabbi was going to say. Everybody wanted to hear the preaching of Jesus. I can well imagine that the crowd was crazy for Christ. They probably had their Jesus bandanas, their Jesus bracelets. They had slapped their Jesus bumper stickers on the backside of their camels. They even followed Jesus on Twitter and Facebook. They had hashtag, we love Jesus. I mean, they really were crazy for the Lord. They loved Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And Jesus stepped out to preach. And there, there's, a, there's a level of anticipation, a level of excitement, because Jesus is about to speak. And he looks off into the distance. And I can well imagine that over the hill, in the next field, he sees a farmer. That farmer has a burlap sack of seed slung across his shoulders. That farmer reaches into that sack, he pulls out a handful of seed, and rhythmically, he tosses it in every direction on the field. It's that imagery that Jesus uses as a springboard into his sermon. He says, there was a man who went out to sow seed. Some of it fell along the hard path. It was trampled underfoot. Some of the seed that rested there on the topsoil, that hard uh, dirt, was just lying there. And, and birds came in and they swooped in and devoured the seed. Still other seed fell on rocky soil. It immediately took root and began to explode in growth, but because it was on rocky soil, it was shallow. There was no moisture, no depth. And when the Israeli sun reached the apex of the sky, that, that, that little plant withered under the intense heat. There's still other seed, it fell among thorny soil. It too immediately germinated and took root and it began to grow, but so did the thorns and thistles that were growing right beside it. And when those weeds grew right beside the plants, those thorns and thistles began to choke out the good seed and it withered away. But then there was some seed that fell on good soil. And that soil received the seed and retained it and produced a crop that was a hundred times what was sown. Jesus then said, um, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And that's it. That's the sermon. Now listen, guys, I've been told there's no such thing as a bad short sermon, but you've got to be kidding me. That's it? That's the sermon? It only takes a few minutes to uh, reiterate and, and, to, and to go through it. It only takes a few minutes. And Jesus stands up. That's the sermon. He offers the invitation, and most people turn, turn around, walk away, scratching their heads in disbelief. I can well imagine that there were a couple of buddies that came because they heard the upstart rabbi was speaking right there near their village. And so they, they took off work, and they went to go hear him. And when it was over, they, they were a little bit more than disappointed. I mean, these two friends, they were walking back to their village, and the one friend said to his buddy, what was that all about? And the friend said, well, I, I guess um, it's a lecture on agriculture. I mean, I guess he was talking to a bunch of farmers. 
I mean, everybody knows that we live in an agrarian society, and, and I've been told that this Jesus guy is a really great preacher, but i got to be honest, he's just uh, giving keen insight into the obvious. I mean, what does a rabbi who used to be a carpenter, now turned preacher, what does he know about farming? I guess he just looked out and saw a bunch of farmers in the crowd and thought it would be a good idea to give a lecture on agriculture. What do you think it was all about? And the other guy said, well, I think there's something much deeper than, than just a, a lecture to farmers. I think uh, that what he's teaching us is to do some uh, soil analysis. Don't, don't waste the seed that you throw out there. Because clearly, there are some places where the seed really germinates and grows. And as farmers, as an agrarian society, we've got to be very intentional about where we plant that little seed. Because we... we Need to redo it because if we do it his way, he says we'll have a harvest a hundred times what was sown. And all of us know that in our day and time, what we expect is ten times what was sown. Jesus says that if we farm the way he tells us to farm, the harvest will be a hundred times what was sown. So I think what he's telling us is as farmers to do a little soil analysis of the dirt. So when I go back home, that's what I'm going to do. And the friend looked at his buddy and said, boy, you got a lot out of that sermon. Absolutely. It's about analyzing the soil and farming well so you can have a big crop and a great harvest. That, that's what he's talking about. I promise you that the vast majority of people walked away that day and they didn't have the foggiest clue what Jesus was talking about. The reason I know this is because the disciples don't even know. In another gospel story, it is told to us that that when the sermon was over and the crowd had been dispersed, Jesus went to a house with his disciples. His disciples came up to him once the crowd had already left and they said, what was that all about? You know, the soil and seed thing. What, what was that all about? And Jesus says, you don't understand that? If you don't get this one, you're not gonna get anything that I say. You don't understand what I'm driving at? They said, no, we don't have a clue. What do you mean? And then Jesus said, to you I give the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to other people I speak in parables. And then Jesus quoted Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9. Even though they see, they will not see. Though hearing, they will not understand. And I promise you at that moment the disciples still looked at Jesus and said, what was that? What does that mean? Because if you take it at face value, it seems that Jesus says, I speak in parables so that nobody will get it. Though seeing, they don't see. And though hearing, they don't understand. And you say to Jesus, but Jesus, if you don't want people to get it, just don't say anything. If God doesn't want people to get eternal life, all he has to do is not send Jesus. Because you and I both know that people don't go to hell just because they reject Jesus. If that's the case, don't give anybody an opportunity to reject Jesus. You don't go to hell because you reject Jesus. You go to hell because you're condemned already. Jesus came not to further condemn us, but Jesus came to save us from our condemnation. So if Jesus doesn't want anybody to get it, all he has to do is say nothing. If God doesn't want anybody to get salvation, all he has to do is do nothing because we're on a sinful path and that end result of our sinfulness is an eternal destination that is separate from God. So so if Jesus doesn't want us to get it, all he has to do is say nothing. But he says something, doesn't he? He preaches, doesn't he? 
He came, didn't he? So Jesus says, I'm quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. Though seeing, they will not see. And though hearing, they won't understand. Do you remember the story of Isaiah 6? Isaiah the prophet has a vision of the Lord. The Lord is high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. There were seraphs, six-winged angels flying all across the sanctuary, declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah says, I am as good as dead. I have now seen the Lord. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have beheld the Lord God Almighty. And the Lord commanded one of those six-winged creatures, one of those seraphs, to take a live coal from the altar of God, that place of full forgiveness, to take that live coal and with it to touch Isaiah's lips, that place where Isaiah was most aware of his iniquity. And the Lord said to Isaiah, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Oh, my friend, when you receive forgiveness from God, that forgiveness is full, it is forever, it is complete, it is eternal, because God's forgiveness not only covers over, atones for your sin by the blood of the Lamb, but also God takes away your guilt so you don't have to walk in shame in the shackles of guilt anymore. If you're a follower of God and you've been forgiven by the blood of Christ, you are free, free both now and forevermore to walk holy and victoriously in the very sight of God. Oh, my friends, for Forgiveness is great. There is nothing on the planet that is greater than the forgiveness of God. That though you are dead in your sins, you can be made alive in Christ Jesus. Oh, my friend, there is nothing sweeter, nothing more majestic, nothing mightier than the forgiveness of God. This is the forgiveness that Isaiah receives. And then the Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah jumps saying, me, me, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Because he's so excited. Why is he so excited? He's just received forgiveness from God. Man, when you've received forgiveness of God, you are bold in your witness. You are eager in your evangelism. You are tenacious about telling the story and doing the job that God has for you. Who, whom shall we send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And the Lord says, great, I will send you. But Isaiah, I want you to know, you're gonna have a ministry where you talk to a lot of people and they're not gonna get it. They'll be ever seeing, but they won't see. They'll be ever hearing, but they won't understand. Jesus adopts this same verse for his ministry. He says, I speak to thousands, and they're seeing me, but they're not seeing me. They're hearing, but they're not understanding. So this is one of the few parables that Jesus explains. He says, the seed is, is the word of God. Just as a farmer rhythmically tosses that seed, and it lands in various places, so the word of God is tossed out to the crowd and it lands on different types of people. Now we like the images of the Bible when it talks about the word of God being strong, being mighty, don't we? But a seed, a seed is so small, so fragile, 
I mean, you could drop a seed and not find it. Where, where'd it go? Where, where? It's so, I, I dropped the seed. But we like the imagery that Jeremiah uses. The word of God is like a hammer, and it breaks the rocks. Oh, we like that, don't we? We like for visualizing the word of God as a sledgehammer, and it comes to a calloused heart, and it breaks us like rock. We, we, we like that imagery, don't we? I don't know about you, but I like the imagery of Ezekiel. He talks about the word of God, and the word of God has so much power that the word of God has spoken to a valley of dry bones, and those dry, crusty bones begin to shake, rattle, and roll, and the hip bone connected to the knee bone, you know how it goes, and everything's all connected, and then it stands up as one mighty army. We like that, don't we? The word of God that can bring life out of death. I don't know about you, but I like that imagery of the power of God's word. I like what John says. John says the word of God is a consuming fire. It overwhelms us, it overtakes us, it burns away the dross, the impurities, the sinfulness, and it, and it just overwhelms and purifies us. And we like that imagery that the word of God purifies us from the inside out. We like the imagery that the author of the Hebrew letter uses. That the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It's a weapon that is wielded against the enemy. It has the capacity to cut, slice, and dice our culture. We, we like these powerful images of the word of God. We like it because we live in an incredible Hulk, no holds bar, Katie bar the door, steel cage match kind of mentality. And we like it when God shows up and shows off in a mighty majestic way. And the only way to explain it is that the hammer got dropped. Or the only way to explain it is a consuming fire fell from heaven. But Jesus says the word of God is a little bitty old seed. You think to yourself, that's so fragile. Yet in that seed is packed some life. So if the seed lands in the right spot, growth will explode. The four soils, that's not different types of dirt. It's different types of people. Now look out here and there are four different types of people. There are some of you that are as hard as a rock. That, that dirt that's on a path. The path is worn because people travel it. The sod is compacted down. There's no way that seed is going to get deep into the soil. It just lies there right there on the surface. And Jesus says some of the word of God, when it's scattered, it, it lands on hard people. It just kind of sits there. It doesn't germinate. It, it doesn't sink in. And that bird that comes in and swoops to scoop it away, that's, that's the devil. Before you can even think twice, the devil comes in and snatches the word away so that you won't believe and you won't be saved. Jesus says there's people in the crowd like that. You know, some of you may be hard like that. The reason you're hard is because you've been trampled on. You know, people have trampled upon you. Your heart is calloused and cold. When it comes to the things of God, you don't have any interest. The only reason you're here is because somebody invited you to come this weekend. You don't want to be here. You're struggling to stay awake right now because you're just hearing the word of God. It doesn't 
make any sense. Jesus says there's some people like that. They're hard, they're calloused, angry at God because of certain experiences that have gone on in their life. You'd have better luck growing a cornfield on concrete than getting them to respond to the word of God. They're as hard as the blacktop in the parking lot. You, you can't grow anything out there, can you? Not anything of significance, not anything of substance. Although, sure, there may be a little crack here and there, a little sprout of something coming up, but, but nothing that's, that's lasting, nothing that's eternal. There's some people like that. Jesus said there are also some people that are like the rocky soil. They hear the word of God. They receive it with joy. They're excited about it. They, they make decisions to live a better life, to, to make uh, better choices. They, they want to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. They want to do better at evangelism. They, they want to do better um, at, at living for the want to be more generous with their resources. But then Jesus says uh, they're rocky because uh, underneath their skin is just a shallow level of dirt. And then, then you have some callous rockiness underneath there. And as soon as that word of God sinks in, germinates and sprouts, begins to grow, the sun of adversity beats down upon them. And when the sun of adversity gets in the apex of the sky and things get tough and things get heated, they have no moisture. They just wither away, fall away. Jesus says there are some people like that. They respond to the word of God with joy. They take it. They make decisions for Christ. They want to live a certain way, do a certain thing. But then a time of testing comes. That testing can be suffering or it can be persecution. When suffering comes, you lose your job. You don't get accepted in the college of choice. You have to bury your spouse You lose your son or daughter to death. Your girlfriend breaks up with you. Suffering. You no longer have money for the future, and you wonder how you're going to make it in retirement. Suffering. The moment suffering comes, there are some people that waste away under the heat of adversity. And others, Jesus says, in times of testing, it can be persecution. That when peer pressure gets too tough, you no longer stand up for Christ, but you wither away like a shallow-rooted plant. My friend, God forbid, but if it were to happen that a shooter were to come in here today and say, any of you who are followers of Christ, raise your hand, and I'm going to stick a bullet right between your eyes. How many of you would raise your hand? You say, oh, but pastor, wait, now that's a hypothetical situation. I can't answer that right now. I, I don't know. I mean, in the moment, I don't. My friend, if you can't answer it now, you won't answer it then. When persecution strikes, and it just might, even here in these great United States of America, when persecution strikes, will you stand up for Christ? Or will you wither away like a shallow-rooted plant? Jesus said there are some people that are like thorny soil. 
They accept the word of God. They, they receive it with joy. They make decisions for Christ. They, they want to live a certain way. They want to do certain things. They want to stop doing other things. It's not that they reject the word. They just don't embrace it wholeheartedly. Because as the word grows in their life, so do the thorns and thistles of life. Jesus defines that, describes it as worries in this world, riches of life, and pleasure in our culture. At the same time that the word of God is growing, we're also worried. We're worried to death, worried about the future, worried about the stock market, worried about our spouse, worried about our children, worried about our, our, uh, our uh, future job, worried about graduation, worried about uh, uh, what may come from our grandchildren, worried, worried, worried. Jesus says that that, that worry it stifles the growth of the word of God in your life. Also worried about riches. Oh, there are far too many of us that believe the golden rule is that whoever has the gold makes the rules. And so we want more gold. We want more riches. We want more things. Because things equal happiness. So the more we have, the happier we'll be. And we've got to have bigger and better. So we've got to have a better house and a bigger house and a faster car and sleeker technology. We've got to have this. We've got to have that. Because everybody in our culture has it. Because better, better, better. More is better. And this drive for success stifles the growth of the word of God. Jesus also says that it is stifled by the pleasures of our culture. Pleasures. Not necessarily bad, but can be. It could be good things. We're preoccupied about vacation. We spend more of our time thinking about where's the next place we're going to visit instead of who's the next person I'm going to talk to Christ about. Worried about pleasure. Everything in our schedule is dictated and dominated by the 63-game ball schedule. For Junior or Sally, whether it's baseball or softball, it does not matter. And they, everything about the schedule is dictated around the pleasure of sports. I didn't think I'd get an amen there. <laughs> Sometimes it could be pleasure that is even sinful, because you know that all sin feels good at first. I thought I might get an amen there. All sin is pleasurable at first, but that thorny person says, I love the Savior, but I also love sin, so I'm not going to give up my worldly ways. I'm not going to give up my morality to the Lord because he'll make me be too pure. I don't want to do that. I don't want to give to God all of my finances because I want to use them selfishly for myself. So there are times that even the sinful pleasures of life snuff out the word of God. Friends, can I tell you, you cannot love the Savior and love your sin all at the same time simultaneously. To love God is to hate sin. I'm not just talking to the teenagers in the front rows. Adults, you cannot say, I love the Savior and I love my sin, whatever form that sin takes. To love God is to hate sin. Jesus says, if you're not careful, you can become thorny soil and you can snuff out the very word of God that's planted inside of you because you're consumed by worry, consumed by riches, consumed by the pleasures of this life. Jesus says, but some people are good soil, good, noble hearts. They receive the word of God, they retain it, it grows, it explodes, and they reproduce 
a hundred times over. If I were to ask you, what type of soil are you? I promise you, the vast majority of you would raise your hand and say, I'm good soil. Yes, I am. I'm good soil. That's what you do. You raise your hand and say, I'm good soil. But think about this. In the story, in the sermon that Jesus gave, he scatters the word of God and only 25% of the people get it. That's one out of four, right? Only one out of four really get it. What type of soil are you? I don't know that this is an equation for evangelism. I don't know that it's not, but I don't know that it is. But humor me just for a second, will you? What if today, what if we all made an agreement with each other that today we are going to do our best to win one person to the Lord every month for the next 12 months? What if, what if we made that commitment, one to each other? Now, that might mean that you have to share the gospel more than once a month, but your goal is to win at least one person to the faith every month for the next 12 months. At the end of that year, you have won 12 people to the Lord. How many of those 12 really get it? Three. Because three out of 12 is 25%. You say, well, if that's the odds, I'm not going to do that. I mean, all that work, trying to win 12 people, and only three of them really get it? Wait a minute, wait. But think about this. You reach 12 people, three of them really get it. How many people are those three people gonna reach? 300, right? So, so you reach 12, and in essence, you're reaching 300. And then, oh my goodness, then you take that 300, and if 25% of them really get it, that's 75 people. And then if 75 people really get it, what happens? They reach 7,500 individuals. Oh my goodness, the church just exploded, right? Boom, there goes your mind. And then take the 7,500 people, and if 25% of them get it, before you even calculate it, that's 1,875. If 1,875 people really get it, and then they multiply, that is 187,500 individuals, believers in the Lord. All because you reached one person per month for 12 months. Amen. What? <laughs> I don't know if it's an equation. But Jesus said that when the word of God lands on fertile people, good soil, good hearts, it reproduces a hundred times over. Haddon Robinson said it this way. The word of God is not only on the lips of the preacher, but it's also on the ears of the hearer. The word of God is not only on the lips of the preacher, but also on the ears of the hearer. You have heard the word of God over all these years, not to store it, but to share it. That's what Jesus says. No, nobody in his right mind lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. That's counterproductive. Not only might you catch the bushel on fire and then burn down the house, but more detrimental, you just may snuff out the light. You have not been lit. You have not been illuminated. You have not been told and received the word of God for you to somehow store it and snuff it, but you've received it to share it. 
That's why Jesus says, be careful how you listen. For he who has received will be given much more. He who does not receive, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. He is not saying that somehow you will lose your salvation. But he's saying the insight that is given to you, if you apply it, then God will give you more insight. If you think to yourself, well, I'm not really growing in my faith. I'm not really growing in the Lord. I don't feel closer to God. Then the question is, how much truth are you applying in your life? If you say, well, not, not a whole lot. That's the reason why you don't feel close to God. Because if you apply truth, you receive more truth. If you fail to apply truth, God's not going to waste his truth on you. Time is of the essence. He's not going to waste it on you. He's going to give it to somebody who he knows is going to apply it and use it in their life, reproduce themselves so the kingdom grows, and he's going to give more and more insight, teaching, and truth to that person, and that's a good, noble heart. And the difference is how you listen, how you receive the word of God. Does it bounce off of you? Are you faithful to God until the moment of testing? Whether it's peer pressure, whether it's suffering, whether it's persecution. Do you accept the word of God? At the same time, you accept the worries of life and the riches of the world and the pleasures of your living. Or do you say, I want to take God's word and apply it and live it. And God says that when you live out his truth, he'll give you more truth. You never stay at the status quo. You're either getting closer to God or you're drifting away from God. You never stay where you were. And can I say this? You can be as close to God as you want to be. The person who's most responsible for your spiritual walk is the person that's seated between the person on your right and on your left. It's you. The pastor's not most responsible. Sunday school teacher's not most responsible. Parents not most responsible. Your spouse is not most responsible. You are most responsible for your spiritual walk with the Lord so that the mother and brothers of Jesus come and the word gets into the house, hey, Jesus, everybody's crowded around, but your mom and your brothers are here trying to see you. And Jesus asked the audacious question, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Be careful, little ears, how you hear. You can be as close to God as you want to be. This soil thing, this is not how you're made. This is how you become. You become hard. You become shallow. You become thorny. You become good soil. And the basis of that is on how you listen. Do you receive the word and do you apply it? Do you receive it and do you apply it? Do you receive it and do you apply it? Can I tell you this? And I gotta close. The worst thing in the world is to peddle an unlived gospel. It is dangerous and it is deadly. If you try to take into your life a gospel that you have no intention of living out, it, my friend, will be your demise. It will be deadly. The gospel was not given to you for you to ignore. The gospel was given to you for you to show and to share. The gospel was given to you so that you could be a bright light in a very dark world. 
Do not peddle an unlived gospel. It is dangerous. It is deadly. Now, normally, we end on a crescendo. Not today. Not today. Today, I just want you to honestly analyze yourself in light of this text of Luke chapter 4 and ask yourself the question, what type of soil am I? Be honest. Don't fake it. You cannot pull the wool over God's eyes. He knows. What type of soil are you? Are you hard? The word of God just bounces right off? You don't always have to be hard. Are you rocky? You receive it initially. You've, you've had a thousand mountaintop experiences, but they never last. Because a few weeks later, pfft, back down. Why? Because of peer pressure, because of times of testing, because of suffering in life, because of persecution. If you're shallow, if you're rocky, you don't have to stay that way. Are you thorny soil? You like the word of God, but you don't like it exclusively. I mean, you, you like it, but you also like the things of this world. You have no intention of laying down your pleasure, whether it's good or sinful. Oh, my friend, do not peddle an unlived gospel. If you're part of that thorn and thistles, you don't have to stay that way. Are you good soil? If you are, you don't have to convince anybody. They see it. Why? Because you are reproducing, 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 bearing fruit, bearing fruit, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel. It is evident to all. You don't have to convince anybody that you love Jesus because they recognize you as a Jesus guy and a Jesus gal. So who are you today? Whatever you are today, you don't always have to be. God is here. He wants his word to land on good soil. This morning, if you're anything other than good, this altar is wide open for you. Don't waste the opportunity. Jesus, we bow before you. We have heard your word. It comes not only from the lips of the preacher, but also the ears of the hearer. And so, Lord, we pray that you will glorify yourself and help us to be authentic here and now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.